A special thanks for all of the families and friends of families that came to be a part of our child dedication. Uh, truth be told, I was telling John this morning, I am more nervous for our child dedication service than at any other point in the entire year. I don't, I don't know what it is. I just I don't want to mess up a name. And so I'm so sorry, Evan and Laura, Pearson, Pearson, Pearson. I want to get the stories right. But I hope you guys know, just families, how much we love you and meant every word of that prayer over each of your little ones. We're going to continue to pray that for you guys and, and with you guys. So just, just again, thanks for honoring us with your presence and uh, with the blessing of your little ones. Hey, we are in the middle of a sermon series right now at West Bowles called Better Together. For those of you that haven't been here for a while, uh, maybe over the last couple of weeks or so, here's the heart and the hope behind this particular series. Uh, some things, if you think about it, they were just made for one another. Take, for example, Oreos and milk, or Mario and Luigi, or Microsoft and viruses. I mean, it's just as if God made those things for one another, right? They're all okay individually, but they are so much better when they are together. And what is true with different foods or different Hollywood stars, even different cultural trends, that's also true when it comes to different generations in the church. You see, God designed for this, this group of people, to be filled with folks of every age and from every life stage. Because according to him, the one who designed this thing from the very beginning, we are all so much better when we are together. And we see this throughout the biblical narrative, certain psalms, certain biblical partnerships. We see this um, in the analogies that writers use to describe the church. We see this in Paul's letters. The church is at its best, the way God intended it to be when we are all together, when folks of every age are together. So in this series, we're highlighting each uh, different generation here at West Bowles. We're honoring them by, by hearing from representatives from that generation. And then we're championing and, and celebrating who they are, what they have done, and most importantly, what they have taught us about a life of faith. This morning, I'm excited to talk about the best generation, the most amazing generation, quite possibly God's favorite generation. Um, if you can't tell us the generation I come from, but we've hopefully been blessed thus far by talking about our silent generation, those senior adults in our midst, as well as our boomers from last week. If you missed last week, go back online, check out the podcast. You got to hear what the boomers had to say. There were so many great life lessons learned from that group. And today, Generation X. Uh, technically, I'm on the cut line of this generation, so I'm not actually an Xer or a millennial. I'm what they call lost. <laughs> but because I'm only going to talk about the positive things from Gen X today, I'm going to claim them as my own. All right, so today I'm an Xer. Uh, this generation is made up of those who were born anyway, anywhere from 90, uh, 1966 to 1981 or so. Uh, these folks are currently in their late 30s and 40s, and according to certain polls, there are about 65 million Xers in America today. Let's see by a show of hands how many Xers are in church today. It's all pretty good representation of Gen X. Uh, the Xers, also referred to as the baby busters, are a fascinating generation. See, every generation typically reacts somewhat negatively to what their parents did or how the world was when they were young. And so they swing the pendulum to the opposite side of the spectrum. Do they not? It's not just true for Xers, but boy, the Xers have definitely done that. Uh, the title Generation X actually comes from several books that were written over the years to describe this age group. It just kind of stuck, and it actually started a rather generic naming trend for generations, didn't it? X, Y, Z, blah, 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 blah. Uh, on the whole, Xers appreciate and fight for diversity. They are technologically savvy. 
They value and seek balance, especially work-life balance. And they're normally risk takers. They're the ones who introduce the world to skateboarding, snowboarding, bungee jumping, motocross, and all the other extreme sports that you see in the X games. That's all from Generation X. Folks from Generation X also typically identify and sympathize more with those who are suffering and in pain, and they have a much more global view of the world than previous generations did. Let me share some fun and interesting facts with you about Xers. In 1984, a talk show host named Oprah Winfrey was introduced to the world, and since her show first aired, it was the number one talk show for 20 years straight. The Atari gaming console was introduced around this time and then replaced by the first Nintendo system. There was the floppy disk, which was then replaced by a less floppy disk, and then replaced by a compact disk. And we were introduced to the first mobile phones, email, and of course, the Sony Walkman. Xers, how many of you remember recording your favorite song on the radio by hitting play and record at the same time on the tape deck, right? Anybody remember, remember doing that? Oh, timeless slogans such as E.T. Phone Home and May the Force Be With You came out. People flocked to the theater to watch movies like Jaws, Rocky, The Breakfast Club, and my favorite, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Michael Jackson's Thriller became the top-selling album of all time, primarily because of the super cool video, right, that he had. But you also had Cyndi Lauper, Madonna, and the Sugar Hill Gang that were hugely successful at the time as well. Walt Disney World officially opened October 1st, 1971, and in 1986, the Space Shuttle Challenger exploded for all the world to see, and many Xers were probably watching it at school on the TV. But there are three dominant traits or characteristics that I have to tell you about real fast if you ever want to appreciate or understand who Xers are and why they do what they do. Let me run through these quickly. I'm happy to talk with you after service about them more if one strikes a nerve or a chord. The first is this. Xers are typically anti, especially when it comes to authority and institutions on the whole. For a lot of different reasons, Xers are a lot more suspicious of institutions, and Xers don't really have strong affiliations, either to the country or to the company or even to the church. One Xer said it better than I ever could, so I'm just going to quote him now. We have never been proud to be Americans because our political memory stretches back only as far as Vietnam, Watergate, and Reaganomics. Our parents left each other and religion in unprecedented numbers, and we all witnessed the very public moral failings of strong Christian leaders like Jim Baker and Jimmy Swagger, along with the mess in the Catholic Church. We saw how certain ideologies didn't work. Love didn't end war, it just brought about more hate. Sexual freedom didn't bring about liberation, it just brought about the AIDS epidemic. And the American dream didn't bring about happiness, it just brought about debt, broken homes, and workaholics. So I'm sorry if I'm a bit skeptical, he said, but I am. Secondly, Gen Xers have an extremely strong connection to pop culture. And this is primarily due to the amount of time we have spent watching TV. Uh, some call the Xers latchkey kids because they came home to empty homes because both parents were most likely working. And the electronic babysitter at the time was the television. Some would even argue statistics might show that some Xers have spent more time watching TV than talking to their family. When Xers grew up, network TV, cable TV, it exploded. You went from three channels, only three channels where the same thing was on, to over 300 channels in that one generation. Disney, Lifetime, Home Network, VH1, and of course, MTV all came out for the Xers. In fact, my very first crush, Xers, you know this, was Daisy Fuentes with her Daisy Dukes on MTV. 
We grew up with shows like The Cosby Show, Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and The Muppets. They entertained us as kids. And then later in life, we watched Seinfeld, Simpsons, Married with Children, and Beverly Hills 90210, introduced us to the Valley Girl. Totally, right? All right, third and finally, Gen X is truly the first postmodern generation. That term confuses some. Let me explain it to you. Postmodernism is more or less a worldview or a mindset that looks for non-traditional ways of processing information, non-traditional ways of interacting with the world, okay? This means that most Xers do not accept the reality of an absolute truth, that there is not one thing or person or idea that is perfect or fool, foolproof. Everything is, is good and bad, and you have to weigh your options, weigh things against themselves, and find out what works for you, what feels best to you. And all of the boomers and silence are rolling their eyes, right, as I am saying this stuff. But Xers struggle to believe that there is only one truth that applies to everybody. That's what it means to be postmodern. All right, I've said enough already about them. I want you to hear directly from our Xers, so watch this. If any of you have seen any John Hughes 80s movies, that was my experience in high school. Watch one of those and you can have an idea of really what it looked like. Started, you know, with the tight rolled pants and, you know, the, the big bangs straight up. Um, I wasn't as good as it as like the high school girls, but I tried. <laughs> I look at my prom picture and I'm just sad because it's so huge. My, um, and my uh, senior pictures, just big hair. Big hair, that's all I remember. Everything was just big and over the top, from the big shoulder pads to the big earrings, big hair, all kinds of hairspray. We had mullets, we had the haircut, the mullet, and then after that we got bowl cuts. So that was some interesting hairstyles. What I remember about my home life is it actually being pretty amazing. Um, two really loving, caring parents that were you know, they always felt really involved in my brother and I's life. Things were not real happy in my home. Um, and they were divorced by the time I was 12. But, like, I saw it coming by the time I was eight or nine. My dad was more standoffish, definitely. He was less involved. Um, not that he didn't help every now and then, but um, as I said, he worked a lot. And, you know, in some ways, I think he avoided being around. No, my dad was... Very, very much, he'd give you a hug every day and tell you he loved you, and um, we had that relationship where it was a friend relationship. You know, my fondest memories of my dad is bedtimes. Um, he'd come in and pray for us, so. Um, but yeah, I, even still now, I can just go and give my dad a hug, and he's right there for it. So. And it's so funny, because he just doesn't have memories of playing with us and he always regrets that and it's so the opposite for us because he would come home and we were just so excited and, you know. I don't ever remember a time where both parents were not working. Um, so I just remember coming home from school. Uh, I was one of the kids that would wear a key around her neck uh, and so I'd take the bus home and let myself in the house. Well, I just always remember being pretty independent and you know, my mom and uh, dad, my dad would work late and my mom would be there or not, depending on what's going on. 
I didn't have very many friends at school that talked about church or went to church on Sundays. Um, they slept in or they, you know, went and did other things with their families or um, just kind of played in the neighborhood, but it wasn't, wasn't a day for everybody to go to church. So church was never, never a, a thing that was part of our family routine. Um, pretty much the weeks were just mom and dad working. Uh, weekends were just kind of hanging out. Sundays, we like uh, was you know we'd get up and have breakfast as a family. Dad would make breakfast, um, but it was really just kind of hangout time. Football um, in the fall. Yeah, that was a time where. Um, you do homework and read the paper and you know maybe there was a movie on TV. The arcades were really cool. You'd go to the arcade, you'd you know set your quarter on the screen, I got next. That was still part of my childhood for sure. Arcades were a big deal. Like so to go to an arcade and play Pac-Man or Centipede, things like that, that was a big deal. You go from your reality to Donkey Kong throwing barrels down you with a little guy that trying to get to you know why are you getting to Donkey Kong well you're gonna save this you know damsel in distress and, and then when I could drive I had my driver's license and I drove our Malibu blue Malibu station wagon to the mall so you could go and get something to drink and walk around and be seen and be you know see others and be seen and and you could spend a lot of time you could try things on and not have to buy anything um, you know having been kids growing up where we had a lot more freedom and, and maybe parents not in the house so much, um, you know, that that was a place to get to go hang out. Going to hang out at the mall was such a big deal. Going from three channels and a lot of times you still had black and white TV shows, especially in the morning, and then going, going and we went to visit my grandparents and we stayed in a hotel and MTV was out then and I was like, what is this? That's the channel my mom would never let us have mm -hmm. on cable. Same here. <laughs> but sometimes it would come through fuzzy. I'm not saying I ever watched it in the fuzzy mode, but okay. <laughs> you know, MTV was big. Uh, Michael Jackson, Madonna. Um, yes, I would dress up like Madonna or the Go-Go's and that was my thing. <laughs> and then to take my VCR and record, I remember recording an air supply concert and watching it over and over and over again. <laughs> Some people were living the dream with the MTV. I was terrified of the thought of nuclear war to the point where I would have the kind of nightmares that you wake up sweating and, and screaming from. It was in the media all the time. We were going to be bombed, you know, the missiles were coming in every moment. And um, if it happened, there'd be nothing left of the country or we all turned to zombies, who knew? I remember, um, I think it was the Challenger explosion. Um, I'm not sure if I was in school or not then, um, but I remember watching it on TV. I remember we were watching that live in school so that was I think some fears kind of came into us kids then just thinking like I don't know just the fear of the unknown you know a little bit of that. And, and I think at that point too it was very normal right shuttle takeoffs were like oh every day the first time first couple times like big deal and it's like oh the shuttle's going off hey and then we've got a teacher on board and then to hear that news it, it was pretty traumatic. We grew up just having a regular phone in the house with a cord that just connected to the wall. I mean, the cord reached from because there were so, you could go in like two in a room. And so when my mom, we'd be fighting on it, 
or fighting, she would get the phone and it was like a lasso, <laughs> smack us with it. And then anyway, like I was saying. <laughs> we had a beta machine. That was the first one I remember having before VHS. And then we got a VHS and then had cassette tapes and cassette decks. Pagers. Pagers was kind of our first communication tool when we were dating. I think they came out when I was like 19 or 20. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's like, you know, just hit me up on the beeper, you know? <laughs> it was the weirdest thing, because you'd get a beep and then you'd have to find a phone. Like, it didn't make any sense. We did have the old console. We had to go up and change it to UHF or VHF. And then, you know, depending on what channel it was, <laughs> you had to make sure it was on the right one in order to get that channel. Well, I remember getting our first VCR. I remember that, and I remember in the and the um, and our first TV that had a remote, because our the remote was share and go change channel. My dad had one of the ones that was the car phone that was like a brick. It was a big thing, and he had a strap, and he'd put it over his shoulder and come to our baseball games or whatever. I remember buying our first computer when I was I think I was a junior in high school. You know, it's massive I and mean, it barely fit. They would sell these desks that weren't hardly big enough for it. I don't even think we had like a typewriter, but I don't think we got a computer literally until, I don't think I ever had one growing <laughs> up. I really don't. Even, even though we still only had three channels when we were first growing up, that things changed as we were growing up. And so um, to try to think about something that characterizes our whole generation is really difficult. The word that sticks out is excess. Like everything was just so big, so over the top. Um, spend, spend, spend. There was this kind of permission to ex experiment more and, and maybe figure out what you're good at, what you're not good at, what you shouldn't do, what you should do, and just kind of land on who you are more personally instead of just being like, you know, someone telling you this is who you should be, this is how you should do this, but without ever telling you why. Everybody is free to be wherever you want to be. Like that's kind of just kind of, I guess, the feel that I got as a child. Like I can do whatever I want. I still remember getting computers and doing some programming in high school and just, wow, we can design our own games. We don't just have to play them. And so I, I think maybe more to Sharon's point, we may be exposed to some endless possibilities that things weren't a certain way. I think our generation was definitely one that experimented a bit more and challenged themselves a little bit more to figure out who they are for themselves. for sharing some thoughts. Thanks to John. Let me point out a few things as our time comes to an end this morning that I think the extras have taught us about faith and life. Uh, the first is this. We need to accept that things aren't as clear cut as we would like. For those who are part of the silent generation or even the boomer generation, things in life uh, were and still are pretty black and white, right? Right and wrong. It was very definitive answers to things. There wasn't a whole lot of gray area well, Xers challenged all of that, and they more or less showed us that things aren't as cut and dry as we might like for them to be. There is an absolute truth, don't get me wrong, there are things that are right and wrong, but, but issues are much more complex and more complicated, right, on the whole. Something I hear Xers say a lot is, yeah, but, yeah, but. Let me, let me give you an example. Uh, marijuana. 
a vast majority of us would probably agree that, that smoking marijuana, it, it's wrong, not something God would most likely approve or be pleased with us doing, right? It alters our physical and mental state at some level. Uh, it acts as a form of escapism. It takes up time, money, and energy we could devote to other things. It can lead to other more detrimental actions or addictions, right? We understand all that to be true. But on the other hand, right, yeah, but on the other hand, that could also be said of your coffee, Caffeine, chocolate, carbs, screen time, adrenaline, red wine, painkillers, sex, essential oils for that matter, right? All of those things could be said of all of those things, right? Smoking marijuana is wrong. It's one thing. You, you could say that, but we need to dive deeper into why it might be wrong and why that actually might be true for a lot of things that you do in life. Now, I don't want you to stop having that conversation with your teenager who's smoking dope all of the time. I think you should address it, and I think you should say that it's wrong. But just be mindful of the fact that as you're having that conversation, you're on your fourth cup of coffee. Or you're checking your iWatch for the 30th time that hour. You see how it's a yeah, but? Things aren't as clear cut as we would like for them to be. Don't assume there's not truth, but just assume that truth is complicated and complex, and it's okay for us to admit that. I wonder if Jesus had this in mind in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye, the telephone pole sticking out your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's this huge piece of wood in yours? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, there's always more going on than meets the eye, I think is what Jesus is saying. Especially when you've got some sawdust in there, and especially when you've got a plank up in there. We just need to understand the situation, right? We still speak truth into the lives of others, but we need to understand the situation, understand why they might be doing what they're doing, have a little sympathy for why they might be doing what they're doing, and then understand you have some biases about why they're doing what they're doing. There is truth, but it's complicated. There's a lot more going on than meets the eye. There are timeless biblical truths that apply to our situations, from gender and sexuality to immigration to environmentalism, but I have seen generations battle each other because one says, it's just like this and there's no other way, and everybody else is like, yeah, but. Can we not have a conversation about the yeah, but? Can we not understand? It's complicated. There's a lot of things going on here. Let's see how we can arrive at the truth together. Extras, you've taught us that, not, that things aren't as clear-cut as we would like. Extras have also taught us that we need to admit that we aren't as put together as we would hope. The word that extras use all of the time is authenticity, right? I just want you to be authentic. See, in past generations, the expectation was more or less saving face, looking good, kind of putting your best foot forward to more or less present yourself as being a good Christian so that folks would assume that God really is real and that he does make changes in people's lives and, and you're a living example of that change. But Xers challenge us to rethink all of that and to be more transparent and honest about how we're really doing, what we're really struggling with. Xers are intimately aware of the reality that life is difficult, holiness is hard, suffering sucks, and no one has it all together. No one. 
In fact, someone who acts like they have it all together from a Gen X point of view cannot be trusted because they don't understand themselves. Therefore, they could never understand me. 1 John 1 eight. if we claim to be without sin, then we're deceiving ourselves. The truth, it's not in us. See, Xers challenge us to live out this text in its fullness, to own who we are, to be honest about what we're struggling with, to admit when things are going really well, but to be just as quick to admit when things are going so poorly. See, Xers want us to be honest about our failures and our shortcomings. I tell this to people all the time in my counseling sessions. I say, I knew you were a sinner before you walked in that door, so let's not fool each other right now, Okay. Let's not try to fool ourselves or one another. I know you're broken. And I know brokenness was a part of your story and still is a part of your story. And it's okay to admit that. This doesn't diminish God's goodness in my point of view. It's not that we need to be good to show that God is good. God is good when I'm not good. Are you with me? And that's actually what makes him so good is he stays with me in my mess. Not because I've figured out how to clean up my mess. So thank you, Xers, for teaching us that we, we just got to admit, man, we are not as put together as we would hope. And then third and finally, Xers have taught us that we need to acknowledge that the gospel applies to more situations than we think. The gospel applies to more situations than we think. I think the story of the Good Samaritan really defines Gen X. It's a story found in, in Luke chapter 10, if you're familiar with it. It's a story of several very religious people that walk past a man who was just beat up and left for dead on the side of the road. Like a priest walks by, a Christian professor walks by, a pastor walks by, and this other guy, for modern day example, would be the Muslim in the story. The Muslim walks by, and he's the one that helps out this, this dude on the side of the street. And Jesus says, who do you think did God's will in that moment? It was actually the Muslim, because he helped the person who was in need that God put in his path. And I think Gen Xers have embraced that truth, and they want to be the good Samaritan to anyone and everyone the Lord puts in their path. Xers believe it's their responsibility, it's their calling to apply the gospel to any moment and every situation that they encounter. If Jesus puts a problem in your way, the gospel should somehow address and inform what you do in that moment and how you solve that problem. See, Jesus isn't your personal savior only. That was a boomer mentality. He came to save you. Gen Xers say he came to save the whole world and everyone in it. So Xers are the ones still to this day and in this church, they are the ones who tutor and mentor the disadvantaged youth. They are the ones who will first minister to the gay, lesbian community those wrestling with their sexual identities, those who have HIV. They will be the ones to jump at the opportunity to serve at the food bank, to work at the missions, uh, rescue missions downtown. Extras are typically the ones who will work hard to pre uh, protect, preserve the environment. Right? They will seek to take the gospel out of its context here in church and apply it to a bunch of situations in the world. Because if it's true here, it should also be true here. You with me? That's what extras have taught us. As you can tell, Xers are the greatest generation this world has ever seen. And it is clear that God loves Xers just a little bit more than all the rest of y'all. Until next week, talk about millennials, and then since I'm going to call myself a millennial next week, he loves millennials more. But here's the thing. Xers, they have their issues. Like every generation we've talked about thus far, their strengths are also their weaknesses. But as we come to an end this morning, as I invite the band up to close us out, 
I just want to challenge you and encourage you. Get to know an exer. Go out of your way to befriend somebody who's in their 30s or 40s right now because you will find they have so much to teach you. You will have such amazing, robust conversations in that yeah, but category. Tell them that you see things black and white or you see things as cut and dry and ask them to explain to you where they're understanding immigration from or why they're so hostile towards the president or why there's no commitment to the church. Ask them. They will tell you. And there's incredible stories behind each of their lives. They'll be able to help you understand that that you're not as put together as you would like, but you will find so much grace and so much mercy from the voice of an exer. You sit with an exer and they'll be like, oh, I struggle with that same stuff, man. I can't believe you're addicted to that too because I am. But there's so much freedom in it because you can finally admit it and ask Jesus to help you with it. And then you're going to find that an exer will help you to apply the gospel to so many situations. What do we do about this problem in the world or this problem in the world? And how should the gospel inform all these things? The exers have so many great ideas as to what you can do with the gospel in the world. And so get to know an exer. Exers, thank you for being a part of this place. You're an amazing generation. We'll go record on our Sony Walkmans and play our Nintendos after service. We'll go watch some MTV, Brett. I think you're allowed to do that now. But we are blessed to have you. Exers, we're better because you're here. Amen? We are better together. Let's pray and we'll, we'll sing one final song together. God, we thank you that you created the church to be this crazy, eclectic family where every age and every life stage comes together. There is no other place in the world that truly has this dynamic, God. There are places where different generations will come together. This afternoon's Bronco game is an example of that. But after the game is over, the final play has been run, every generation will go back to doing their own thing, God. There there might be affinity there or a sameness, but there's not a love, there's not a unity, there's not a togetherness. The church, the church is the only place in the world where the youngest and the oldest come together and truly love one another and have so much in common. The church is the only place where every generation comes together and says, you have so much to teach us about life and love, heaven and hell and everything in between. I want to sit and listen to you. Someone who's 40 years older, someone who's 60 years younger, God. The church, that's where we find it. And we will be a light in this community when we model multi-generational ministry. So help us now. Help us now to do just that. Help us to love, respect, honor, and utilize every generation you have sent to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.